This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode contains strong language. Hi, I'm David Wolfe, editor of The Guardian Longread. For the rest of the month, we'll be pausing our normal schedule to replay some of our favorite episodes from 2022 in case you missed them first time around. Each episode will begin with an introduction from one of the Longreads editors, reflecting on why we think it's such a good piece. We'll be back to our regular programming in the new year. So today I've picked a fun piece by Kieran Morris under the title, The Amazing True-ish Story of the Honduran Maradona. It's a story of a teenage prank that got totally out of control and seemingly propelled an obscure Honduran footballer to fame. This is one of those pieces that started in the idealized way that people like to imagine articles get commissioned, which is, I was talking to Kieran over drinks, and then he told me this story about the Honduran Maradona and this this crazy prank he played and how it had kind of got out of hand. And from that moment, I was obviously hooked by the story and thought this was something we have to do. So that's the way it started. And actually, I think one of the pleasurable things about this piece, especially as a podcast, is that it has the feel of a story told to you by a friend. You know, here's a crazy thing that happened to me. Rather than feeling like a really traditional piece of written journalism, it really feels like a story told to you by your funniest friend. I think part of the fun of the piece is that Kieran is obviously the hero of his own story, but he's appropriately self-deprecating about his role. I think one of the pleasures of the piece is that it's extremely well executed, but it knows what it is. And that is a ridiculous caper about a story that really should never have happened at all. I think with any piece, when you first commission the piece, there's something about it that excited you or spoke to you that made you want to do it in the first place. But when you're publishing it, it's months later and you've become so familiar with all the twists and turns and the things that delighted you in the first place that you're never exactly sure whether a piece will go down really well with readers or whether it will sort of sink without a trace. So on the day we published, I I didn't know what to expect, but then I arrived in the office and saw the response. And I was so delighted to see how warm the response was by football fans, people who didn't like football. And eventually it was especially delightful to see the story was picked up by the Honduran press itself reporting on one of their most famous footballers. And there were lots of tweets in Spanish along the lines of, I can't believe this shit. And that was uh, very gratifying. Welcome to The Guardian Long Read, showcasing the best long-form journalism covering culture, politics and new thinking. 
For the text version of this and all our long reads, go to theguardian.com forward slash long read. The amazing true-ish story of the Honduran Maradona, written and read by Kieran Morris. I'm going to tell the story like I've always told it. When I was a teenager, my best friend and I played a lot of pranks. We wanted to be like Chris Morris, fooling celebrities, journalists and politicians into absurd situations of our making. Morris, of course, is a genius, and his satire remains the gold standard. We were not geniuses. To our 13-year-old minds, his work offered a simple lesson. You could just ring people up, influential people, and lie to them. For fun. So, we did. My first go was on the eve of the May 2010 general election, when I called the Hilton Hotel in Westminster, pretending to be David Cameron's chief of staff, Ed Llewellyn. I spoke with their private events manager for 45 minutes, ordering a stupendous party banquet for the Conservatives' imminent victory. Hundreds of bottles of Krug, trays of shepherd's pie, feathers to fall from the ceiling at the moment the vote was called in their favour. All of those requests were sent to the hotel from my school email one afternoon. The following morning, I was pulled out of my geography lesson and told that the hotel had called my school requesting a £10,000 deposit. I was very nearly expelled. Over the next few years, as we aged a lifetime between 13 and 16, we continued to dabble and dupe, using fake emails, fake accents and Wikipedia tricks to make each other laugh. We dropped our names into the Wikipedia pages of minor indie bands in the hope of making it stick. I got as far as being named as the multi-instrumentalist for the Mystery Jets by an Australian music critic. My friend is still listed on the Swedish language page for the Scottish rock band Delamitri. In 2011, we booked the veteran French footballer William Gallas a room in a luxury Midlands hotel purporting to be his agent, and then tipped off the papers to his imminent signing by Birmingham City. When the club's manager, Alex McLeish, was forced to deny those rumours live on air on Sky Sports News the next morning, we laughed until our lungs gave out. It was a powerful feeling. We were little masters, smart enough to mimic our targets and dumb enough not to fear their reprisals. But the best was yet to come. In 2012, the Olympics came to London. Among the nations competing in the football was Honduras. A small Central American country of 10 million people, Honduras does not have a glittering football history. As an ironic no-hoper for two annoying 16-year-olds to get invested in, it was perfect. And for our next grift, we wanted a blank canvas, which we found in their young midfielder in the number 10 shirt, Alexander Lopez. Lopez was 19 years old and had scored three goals in 28 starts with CD Olympia, who had just won the Honduran League Championship. As we took to his Wikipedia page, three career goals soon became 11. A column on his stats table then opened up for assists, and we judged that he should have 20. We built a grand narrative for him. As his stardom had grown in Central America, he had been invited for trials at Napoli, Malaga and Tottenham Hotspur. He was the next big thing. To fans, he was best known by his nickname, the Honduran Maradona. 
With his online profile buffed and polished, we sought a bigger prize. His name in print. Our plan was to convince the British press that Wigan Athletic, the Premier League club that had brought 300 Honduran players to England in the previous few seasons, was on the verge of signing Lopez for £2.5 million. We spent a day ringing the local papers, then the regionals, then the nationals. At various points, I pretended to be a club physio, a friend of the physio, an agent, and a local freelance journalist. By the evening, an editor, who believed he was talking to a journalist, was on the phone. And so, on the 28th of July 2012, in the back pages of the Olympics opening ceremony souvenir edition of the Times, you can find the following fateful words. Wigan Athletic have agreed a £2.5 million deal for Alexander Lopez, the Honduras playmaker from Olympia. The story was even picked up in Honduras by the local tabloid Diario Diaz. We laughed, we loved it, we'd done it again. Lopez became our private joke. As months passed, we kept checking in with him, taking the time to further inflate his stats. By July 2013, he had 18 goals and 34 assists. Figures that would put him alongside Messi and Ronaldo at a similar age. Figures that nobody would believe. Then, one August afternoon, just over a year on from prank day itself, we came across something truly unbelievable. It was a press release from a major US team, Houston Dynamo. The club was announcing the $1 million signing of a young international with a bright future who had registered 18 goals and 34 assists in 51 career league games. Oh, God. The new signing would be earning $212,000 a year, the fifth highest salary at the club. No way. The club's site celebrated this new arrival with a picture of Lopez beaming, holding an orange shirt with Alex 10 on the back. We didn't, did we? Did we? Eyes wide in astonishment, we checked the forums and comment boards to find fans celebrating the arrival of the player they would surely come to adore, a talent that would dazzle the MLS, Major League Soccer, the game's top tier in the US, bring glory and acclaim back to Houston in perpetuity. They were about to welcome the Honduran Maradona. I've been telling this story for the entirety of my adult life. At the end, like clockwork, everyone asks the same thing. What happened to Alexander Lopez? Good question. I never used to care about the details once my little star turn was over. He didn't light up the MLS. Maybe the club found out the truth and sent him to train with the reserves, I'd speculate. I knew he eventually ended up in Saudi Arabia. Imagine how much money he's on, I'd say. He owes you, people would laugh in response. Yeah, maybe he's in on it. Where's my cut? I'd reply, before waving the possibility away with faux modesty. It might have been more accurate to say that I owed Lopez a cut. I was cashing in from day one. I bragged about the prank in the interview for my first internship. Writing it up was my first paid commission at a small Liverpool magazine called Halcyon. That piece then directly got me my first job, and my second, third, and fourth indirectly. It was a foot in the door, a pat on the head, 
a parlour trick used pretty much always in service of professional gains. I lost track of where Lopez was playing a little while ago, but that's never stopped me spinning the yarn. At some point, though, in amongst all the glad-handing and horn-tooting, I started to think more about the implications of what I've been boasting about all of this time. If my prank really had played a part in Lopez's transfer, then I would have callously tampered with the life of a promising young footballer. I could have set him up for a fall in Houston, fans with unrealistic expectations, disappointed coaches and teammates, a young man finding himself lost and alone in a new place. If the transfer had been a mere coincidence, and my prank had been immaterial, then I had been lying to just about every friend and colleague I had ever met, puffing myself up with some fantasy built on the shaky foundations of an erroneous transfer rumour in 2012. It ate away at me just a little bit the more I thought about it. I needed to find out whether I'd been a troll, a fabulist, or both. And since there were few sources I could trust online, having somewhat poisoned the well a decade ago, a problem of my own making, I concede, I set out on the trail of Alexander Lopez, on a transatlantic flight from London to Houston to God knows where, to see if I could catch up with the Honduran Maradona, to correct the record of his life, and to tell him what I had done. One problem with taking a long plane journey to get to the bottom of an exceedingly stupid thing you did when you were a teenager is that you have a lot of time in mid-air to reflect on the sheer idiocy of not only your original scheme, but the subsequent scheme that has led you, as a supposed adult, to be sitting on a plane, on your way to an unfamiliar city, to interview dozens of people, including a decent proportion of the senior staff at a reasonably large MLS team, on the flimsiest of premises. Having arranged to visit Houston Dynamo's training ground immediately after landing, I was unable to carry out my favoured mode of long-haul flying, which is to drink myself unconscious with vodka and Powerade and wake up ten hours later. After touching down, I made my way to Houston Sports Park in the city's south. As I waited to meet with Nick Cowber, who was the Dynamo's director of soccer operations back when the club signed Lopez and is now the club's assistant general manager, I watched golf buggies full of bowls and cones zigzag across the arid cul-de-sac, separating the two nearest pitches. A goalkeeper waved at me at one point. I felt like I'd broken in. I had arranged interviews with practically every authority I could find on Lopez in Houston. Cowber, ex-manager Dominic Kinnear, former club president Chris Canetti, former senior vice president Matt Jordan, and Honduras and Dynamo icon Oscar Boniek Garcia. From those conversations, a consistent story emerged. Calva had been tipped off to Lopez's potential at Olympia by Garcia in the summer of 2012. At almost the exact same time as I had started to meddle with his online statistics, I know it to myself. I remember Boniek telling us, you've got to keep an eye on this guy. And so we did. We started asking around to learn more about his character, his professionalism, his family life. The coaching staff, who were, at the time, also the scouting staff, started to look over Lopez's games for Honduras during the Olympics. Later, they flew out to watch him play for his native Olympia. Kinnear was impressed. He passed all the tests for us, he told me over Zoom. I told senior management that he was a player with a bright future in MLS and possibly beyond. The club duly snapped him up. At first, things seemed to be clicking. 
On his first start, Lopez made an impact, assisting Houston's only goal in a 4-1 loss to the New York Red Bulls. But the chasm between the Honduran and American leagues soon slowed his progress. Fitness was an issue, Kinnear told reporters. So too was the language, as Lopez bemoaned to the Honduran press on a visit home in December 2013. The Dynamo fans quickly lost enthusiasm for their new signing. When he had arrived in August 2013, a bulletin in the Spanish-language Houston lifestyle magazine Famosos hyped the arrival of El Maradona Hondureño. There is hope for some creativity and spark, something the Houston Dynamo have lacked for years, wrote one fan on Twitter. Pretty much every move the Dynamo make is the right one, wrote another. Three weeks later, some Houston fans were growing sceptical. So wrote Skeel on 12.15, Andura Maradona, my ass. It took Lopez another 10 months to appear in the starting 11 again, this time in a 2-0 loss to Sporting Kansas City. It would be his last league start under Kinnear. He had a little run of form under Kinnear's successor, Scottish veteran Owen Coyle, but when he was offered a lower salary in his contract renewal, he opted to move back to Honduras. Six months later, he was off to the Saudi Arabian League, playing for the soccer team of Al-Khalij, a multi-sports club more renowned for its success in international handball. He lasted six months and returned to Honduras again to rebuild his career at Olympia. In Houston, looking for a supporter's perspective on Lopez, I was pointed to a spot where Dynamo fans congregate when the team is playing out of town, a sports bar named Kobo's. I went there to meet one of the club's official fan groups, The Surge, one of the newest and flashiest of four designated supporter affiliates. I worked the room, looking for memories of Lopez, all the while eating brisket quesadillas and sinking cans of Lone Star, when in Texas after all. The majority of fans I spoke to knew right away, telling me how he never quite hit the heights, or how he could have been better used, or wondering why I was digging around on a bit part player from seven years ago. All understandable responses. When I asked Rob Zip, a supporter since the club's inception in 2006, and a prolific YouTube live streamer, he drew a blank. Then he asked, does he have a Wikipedia page? Now that I could vouch for. We sat outside, finishing our beers, and looked through his online profile. For the sake of integrity, I pointed out the bits that were still my handiwork. Zip was genuinely surprised to see him wearing Dynamo Orange. Did the prank ever get back to the Dynamo Top Brass? Well, I asked the Dynamo Top Brass, and they were annoyingly clear about it. Kinnear burst out laughing when I asked if he'd heard the story of the Honduran Maradona. The first time I heard that nickname was from you today. Boniek Garcia had no clue. Cowber said he couldn't recall if he'd heard it, but clarified that those sorts of nicknames, on the whole, were whatever, and that he didn't really take stock in somebody's nickname, to be honest. Chris Canetti, the former club president, might have been caught out a little bit. When asked, he breezily reassured me that they knew about the name at the time of the signing, but just didn't make too much of a deal of it. When I pressed the fake stats angle with a man who ought to know, ex-general manager and senior vice president Matt Jordan, he gave little encouragement. He had heard nothing of the sort while he was in charge, and nothing since. It seemed that, at the very least, I could forgive myself the charge of having doomed Lopez's time in Houston before it began. The Dynamo front office all liked him, all wished he could have done a little bit more, but certainly hadn't considered being sold a bill of goods with him. 
What I hadn't learned much of, from fans or from chats with staff, was what came next for Lopez. So I went back to Kinnear, now an assistant coach at FC Cincinnati, and asked if he'd kept an eye on him. He had. It transpired that Alexander Lopez is now playing in Costa Rica, and he's a big deal there. His club, LD Alejuelense, won their 30th league title in 2020. In the same year, they won the CONCACAF League, the regional equivalent of the Europa League, beating bitter rivals Deportivo Saprissa in the finals of the tournament. Lopez, near ever present for the side, scored the winning goal. At the time of writing, Alejuelense are in contention for another domestic and continental double. Kinnear fondly remembered seeing Lopez play for Alejuelense in the CONCACAF Champions League, the region's premier competition, against Atlanta United last year. And you know, he plays exactly the same way. It was like watching him for the first time all over again. He hasn't changed, he said. I considered my situation. Costa Rica was three and a half hours from Houston. Home was 12 hours. Flights were cheap, as were places to stay. While I'd answered a few questions for myself in Houston, I hadn't really found what I was looking for. What I was looking for was Lopez. And if there was ever a moment to put this story to rest, it was now. I had to fly to San Jose, and I had to do so immediately. Thanks for listening to The Guardian Long Read. The story continues right after this. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The audio long read is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash audiolongread today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash audio long read.
Welcome back to The Guardian Long Read. In the cab to the preposterously named George Bush Intercontinental Airport, a detail I had been too stressed to fully appreciate on the way in, I rattled off the story of how I'd got here and my plans for Costa Rica to a genial Texan retiree who was surprised to learn that the city had a soccer team at all. About my story, he seemed ambivalent. As he dropped me off at the terminal and I wrapped up my 20-minute travelogue, he said, somewhat crushingly, good for you. True, it was not exactly trailblazing reportage. And still, on my way to San Jose, I felt like I was leaping into the unknown. At the time of boarding, all I had was the phone number of Lopez's agent, and a brief window where I might be able to catch the player. At some point between his next two matches, both played away from home in different corners of Costa Rica, and when he would not be imminently due in training. Since arriving in 2017, Lopez had emerged as one of the league's top players. I couldn't just expect to walk into an interview with him, just as I couldn't expect to book a chat with Kevin De Bruyne with two days' notice. Upon arrival, I turned my hotel room into a command centre, trying to reach interpreters and agents and, hopefully, the man himself. In order to secure the interview without spooking Lopez or his representatives, I'd styled myself as something of a sports reporter, with the simple intention of going over his career for a story about the lasting impact of high expectations on so-called wonder kids, which was, in effect, if not in spirit, basically true. Only breaking from my laptop, phone, and Google Translate tab to pace around the hotel pool, drink Sprite, and plot next moves, I inched the plan along bit by bit as the possibility of landing the interview came into focus. I was dauntless. I was Truman Capote in Kyoto, talking his way into his famous interview with Marlon Brando. I was AJ Liebling, reporting from Normandy on the night the Allies crossed the Channel. Eventually, after some obsequious texts in my best Spanish, I was given a time and date. 4pm the next day at the Hilton La Sabana in San Jose, floor 18, the sky lobby of Costa Rica's tallest building. I celebrated that night by taking myself to the only restaurant within walking distance, of all things a curry house. I ordered La Especialidad de la Casa, which turned out to be a lamb korma, extra hot. When the big day arrived, I decamped to a nearby bar two hours early to get my head in the game. I rehearsed back and forths, plotted how firm my handshake should be, and considered what was to me the very real possibility of being punched in the face. As I stared out onto the busy road, I clenched my teeth a little to practice taking it like a man. Once my interpreter, Ileana, had arrived at the Hilton, I headed up to floor 18, took a seat overlooking the Costa Rican National Stadium, and with sweaty thumbs typed, Estamos en Sky Lobby, lingering as I considered fleeing back to the UK. When he stepped out of the elevator and into the plush, airy bar, Lopez looked totally at ease. Despite living close to Alajuela, a flyover suburb of the capital, Lopez had checked into the San Jose Hilton to take his daughter swimming, which is the kind of fancy thing you can do if you're a star of what we have to call, for sponsorship reasons, La Liga Promerica. 
We shook hands, made small talk, and sat down for what was, on its face, a straightforward recap of his career. It turned out that I had no cause to give him a false reputation. Lopez had been prodigious in his own right. Around the age of 15, he began to be heralded as Olympia's brightest young star, appearing for the side's reserves alongside fully grown men before he'd even signed a professional contract. When I was barely 18, the president of Rosenborg, the most decorated team in Norway, came to watch me play and wanted to buy me, Lopez told me. But our president stopped it. He wanted me to get more experience first. To my astonishment, he then told me that at this time, a whole year before I would try to link him to Wigan Athletic, he had caught the eye of Arsenal and was offered a trial to train with him for a few weeks. We talked about his time at Houston. His take pretty much matched with that of the Dynamo staff. He had had issues with fitness, pace of play, language, but he had loved Houston, loved the US. One of his daughters had been born during his time there. He had made friends and developed himself as a player. As for the nickname, I asked him casually, like a reporter might, and he said he'd heard of it, although he laughed it off as a quirk of life. Fans make up silly nicknames sometimes. He talked with more sadness about the lonely, difficult months he spent in small-town Saudi Arabia. All our training was at 11pm because the days were too hot, so I'd come home every day at 2am to my wife and daughter, go to the supermarket, eat, sleep through the day, wake up the next evening to head out and train again. The relentlessness of it all drove him to reconsider whether the money was worth it. Despite being signed on for two years, he terminated his contract early and headed home. A gamble on himself that had eventually brought him all the way to where we were now. It took him a little while to find acceptance at Alejuelense, too. He confessed to crying all the way home after missing a crucial penalty in a 2019 tournament final. The fans were so angry, calling me a foreigner who didn't try for the team, he said. It was the toughest moment of my career. But in the years since, he has more than redeemed himself, helping bring Alejuelense back to glory. As the interview came to an end, Lopez stood up, ready to shake hands and head off. I told him I had one more thing to mention while I still had him. For one final ride, I launch into the story that brought me here, this time in short staccato segments for the interpreter, who valiantly attempted to keep it coherent. All of time itself dilated between those key details. Wigan Athletic, Perfil de Wikipedia, Maradona Hondureño. As the story unfolded, Lopez stared back inscrutably, like a man caught up in a bungled sting operation. Sportsmen have layers and layers of security buffers to prevent roughly this kind of situation. At a certain point, Lopez sort of croaked with incredulity, eyes widened, swinging his face from shoulder to shoulder in a manner that wasn't quite urgent enough to be shaking his head. What did it mean? I kept going, gabbling through the journey to Houston, the time with the fans and the coaching staff, the flight over, the nerve-wracking wait for confirmation of the very meeting we were now having. Finally, he laughed, and then kept laughing, throwing his head back and covering his face with his hands. I was telling him how I might have unwittingly altered the course of his life. He seemed to find it hilarious. Why didn't you tell me in advance, he said, mock exasperated. I would have brought you a dynamo shirt. 
The moments after were a blessed relief. A blur of puffed cheeks and exhausted thank yous. For Lopez, this weird request for an interview from a British journalist finally made sense. Now I know, he said, tapping his head and laughing. He saw the whole silly story as a tale of mutual benefit. We were both founded in some part upon this story. Or at least one of us was. Now I was one side of the interviewer's table and he was at the other, both much further from home than when this all started. On the patio of the sky lobby, we talked about this new entanglement and what all of this had really meant. He reflected a bit more wistfully to me about what the sport had brought to him, where it had taken him, every continent by his count, and even an offer to play in South Korea, which never came to pass as the Korean club in question couldn't match Alec Walensi's financial expectations for him. He itched for one more shot at the big time. Perhaps, he mused, in coming all this way to write about him, I might yet have a hand in a future move. He promised more interviews down the line at the next stop of his career. I could keep catching up with him, chronicling him like I've been doing surreptitiously all these years. Now he really is in on it. Even if he stays in Costa Rica, Lopez has made his own imprint on the game across North and Central America. He's even got a new nickname, El Ingeniero, or The Engineer, building the play, organising the attacks, coordinating the team. As it happens, engineering is something of a Lopez family trade. His brother is one, in the traditional sense, and now he is too. His mother loves it. Best of all, it was given to him by the Alecualensi fans, handed over organically, as these names are meant to be. For more Guardian long reads in text and a selection in audio, go to theguardian.com forward slash long read or find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud forward slash theguardianlongread. Thanks again for listening to The Guardian Long Read. That was the amazing true-ish story of the Honduran Maradona, written and read by Kieran Morris. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.